bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again just for another day to be alive, to breathe the air you've provided, to be able to see and hear and learn your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who cleanses our souls, who teaches us truly and helps us under, understand supernatural things. And we thank you for your word, which is perfect. Most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, the word in the flesh, who once for all took away our sins. So we don't have to be concerned with those things anymore, but we can truly just focus on serving you from the heart. We ask your blessing to be upon this message and it bring you glory. It's in Christ's precious name we pray by the power of your spirit. Amen. All right. It's a privilege to serve the Lord. As you can see, the word privilege is in bold, and that's going to be our main uh, theme because uh, often we can have the wrong attitude and wrong perspective when we're doing things for the Lord. Uh, sometimes we might even start out right start out with the right motivation, for example, or the right heart, and then, you know, allow our flesh to get involved and, you know, start doing things for the wrong reasons. So our perspective, which is the way we view things in our own souls, is what the Spirit's desiring to change in us continually, as we've been learning for a while now. In every area of our lives, we could look at things better than we do now more like Christ. This will be the case until we die and we're made perfect and we're finally redeemed by the Lord. But serving is one of these areas that we need to change our perspective in. I know I do. Uh, if you're honest, you're not always perfect in your motivation. <laughs> couple chuckles. That's good. Honesty is good. As we know by now, from the Spirit's persistence with us, God looks at the heart in everything. And when a king was being chosen for Israel, God made this clear to the prophet Samuel on the board as a friendly reminder. 1 Samuel 16, 7 in the NIV. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at, Man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And the Spirit's given us plenty of Scripture revealing the importance of the heart in everything that we do from repenting and believing to serving. Uh, it's, it's, vital. It's, it's God's, um, dare I say, measuring stick. God always looks at the heart in what we do, and that's how He judge, judges its quality. The Lord is always looking for good motivation in us, and He knows none of us are going to be perfect. But for example, He hopes that whatever we do is out of love, rather than out of obligation, or guilt, or approval of others, etc. And we all fall into um, different pitfalls as we enter into ministry, as we become a part of a church. Think back to when you first got involved in a church or really into the Word of God 
and think of how your motivations were different, the way you looked at things, the way you wanted people to look at you, things that you know were askew because you didn't learn the Word of God yet or you didn't apply it yet, you didn't want to maybe. But we all have um, errors in our motivation. So the question is regarding serving God from the heart. You know, are we? Serving the Lord, and by extension serving others, can often be done with a skewed perspective or motivation. For example, do we serve out of love, which is the greatest motivation, clearly in the scripture? Or are we motivated by some fleshly reason, uh, like guilt, obligation, approval, or even finances? Even finances. I mean, there are some people in some churches that, you know, in our church, the pastor appoints the deacons, right? But in some churches, the deacons are voted on. That's like running for office. And some people, I've, I've heard this over the years, will run for that position, for the prestige of the position, or to get more business contacts in the church. So you think finances doesn't exist. Well, what's the reason you're, quote, unquote, serving God in that area? You want to serve God in that area. What's your underlying reason? And if we're honest, which we're often not with ourselves, but if we're honest, it may be pretty ugly. It may be something like on the board. Again, serving from the heart, serving the Lord, and by extension serving others can often be done with a skewed perspective or motivation. For example, do we serve out of love or are we motivated by some fleshly reason, such as guilt, obligation, approval, or finances? So let's be honest. No man is 100% pure in his motivation 100% of the time. I don't care who you look up to in the spiritual life. You look up to him too much, maybe, if you think that's the case. Jesus was the only one with 100% pure motivation 100% of the time. Sometimes when we serve, we do so from a fleshly viewpoint. But on the board, regarding serving from the heart, the proper perspective on serving is that it's a pure privilege. It's nothing less than a privilege. Nothing less than a privilege. A grace gift and an opportunity to honor the Lord from the heart. And we're talking the Lord God Almighty, right? We can't see Him right now, but if you could see Him, if you could see the angels, if you could see the invisible realm, if Jesus was here with you uh, visibly, you would have no problem believing this point on the board that, wow, this is a pure privilege. You want to use me for anything? I'll scrub the toilets. I'm, I'm excited. Let me go at it. Give me a toothbrush. That's it. You'd be pumped because you'd see, and this is where faith comes in, but you'd see what a pure privilege it is to serve the Lord God Almighty who created everything and gave you life. So we all fall short at times. This is not about guilt. God knows we fall short at times, and he's gracious to us. So in this series, let's seek to gain some perspective on serving the Lord. And if we remain humble, God will help us see it as we should see it. Again, on the board, the proper perspective on serving 
is that it's a pure privilege. It's nothing less than a privilege, a grace gift, and an opportunity to honor the Lord from the heart. Now, since our focus is now where it should be in the ministry, which is namely on the Great Commission and evangelism, the Spirit gave us something on serving in this area as well in Pastor's blog a couple weeks ago. And this is where I love, just love watching the Spirit work because a month ago when, you know, he gave me this topic, it doesn't seem to fit really with what we've been learning, gospel, evangelism, right, Um, the apostles. And I'm like, all right, I'll go forward, right? And three weeks later into the studies, trying to prepare ahead time, um, Pastor writes this blog, which came out, I believe, last Saturday. And on the board, it's, what is compassion? And I'll quote a couple sections here. It says, the greatest friend compassion has is perspective. To keep it, we must remember the unbeliever's plight. They are lost and confused. Many of them are venomous, and it stings when they bite us. Uh, what That made me think about, you know, why do dogs usually bite people? Because they're scared, right? So think of people that, think of unbelievers that way. If they do, quote unquote, bite you or sting you, they're just lost, confused, in fear. Really, they don't realize it. Others are pathetic, worn, downtrodden, clingy. By the way, all situations that are tough to deal with when you're dealing, you know, person to person with people in these Uh, caught in these situations. Others are pathetic, worn, downtrodden, clingy. We ought to have compassion on them all. We ought to lace up our boots every morning the way good soldiers do and march right into battle. There's a great perspective. I mean, we're here to seek and save the lost, right? The lost the confused, the hopeless, even though they can be agitating at times. I think of, when I, when I see this last phrase, we ought to lace up our boots every morning the way the good soldiers do and march right into battle. I think of the American soldiers in Afghanistan who not only go out there and fight every day sometimes, but many of them go out and um, mingle with the community and help the local community, the citizens, the poor, lost, persecuted citizens. And what do they do? They lace up their boots every morning knowing that's their calling. You know, when, you know it's like well, I visualize, once you put those boots on, you're ready. You're prepared. You know what you're going out for. You know you're going to be facing hurting people, lost people, uh, lonely people, suffering people. But you're prepared. By grace, you've been prepared, which has been our lessons, right? And then continuing on in the blog, on the board, this sounds like quite a calling, doesn't it? Well, my friends, it truly is. Beyond that, though, is the fact that it's a divinely bestowed privilege. That's another part of compassion that fuels us. We mustn't ever forget where we have come from, how far the Lord has delivered us 
by grace. So even having compassion on those that even bite us at times is a divinely bestowed privilege. Reaching out to the lost like the apostles did and sometimes got beaten for it. it would, they, they knew in their hearts it was a divinely bestowed privilege that they could represent the Lord, the Messiah, to these people. And they knew they were lost. And that motivated them. And so we can learn from their example once again. But again, on the board, this sounds like quite a calling, doesn't it? Well, my friends, it truly is. Beyond that, though, is the fact that it's a divinely bestowed privilege. That's another part of compassion that fuels us. We mustn't ever forget where we've come from, how far the Lord has delivered us by grace, how quickly we forget where we came from, and what the Lord delivered us from personally. We look at others sometimes, and we say, what's wrong with them? Right? Or we say, I can't deal with them. But that was you so many years ago. That was you. That was exactly you and me. Maybe a slight variation. Okay? Maybe their, their weakness is something rubs you the wrong way. Big deal if the roles were reversed, you rub them the wrong way. You know, or you already rubbed someone the wrong way when they approached you with the gospel and you uh, spit some venom at them. But that was all of us. Yet somebody had compassion on us. Someone had patience on us. So maybe others have different flaws and different types of arrogance, but that was you and I. I read a passage today in Luke chapter 12 where the Lord said, be on guard against all kinds of greed. All kinds of greed. So that means there are different shades or colors or types of greed. But they all fall under the same category of sin. It's the same sin that you had. Whatever is rubbing you the wrong way about somebody or or how, how someone's treating you. It's the same sin you had, just a different color. And yet we quickly forget that. So if we remember that this is all a privilege, back to our motivation, back to uh, God's trying to change our perspective, if we remember this is all a privilege, just totally a pure privilege, nothing less than that, that the Lord Jesus Christ has sent us out to pass on his message, not your message, not my message. He sent us out and entrusted us to pass on his message. That perspective is what rescues us from the fleshly perspective as we reach out to others. So back to what we might call our main point on the board, serving from the heart. The proper perspective on serving is that it's a, per, a pure privilege. It's nothing less than a privilege, a grace gift, and an opportunity to honor the Lord from the heart. So we're going to start this mini-series with a believer in the Old Testament named Obed-Edom. Obed-Edom. Some of you are like, who's that? Well, that's good. You'll learn about him. Uh, we're going to see he was quite a humble man of God. 
who understood the privilege of serving God when the opportunity, opportunity literally came to his doorstep. And he had to make a choice. We can only conclude he had a healthy fear and reverence for God. And that motivated him to serve the Lord with gratitude. So we'll start this series seeing a couple different accounts of this man and his willingness to serve the Lord in whatever was needed. And that's a key thing to look at, too, as we read about him and, and how he was used by God. He had a willingness to serve the Lord in whatever was needed. Hopefully that's our perspectives and our souls more and more, because honestly, we can be a little selfish in our servanthood, too, right? A little picky in our servanthood instead of um, giving, instead of unselfish. If we view serving as a pure privilege before God, we'll be willing to do whatever is needed. Trusting God to put us in the right places that He wants us. The key word is willingness. God desires that we're available, not able, right? We've heard that over and over. Our free will is involved in every step. And He wants us to be willingly humble. So this man was just that, as I think you'll see. So for some context at this point, David was now the king of Israel. Even after Saul's death, he was now soundly in charge and respected by all the people. So David decided it was time to bring the Ark of the Covenant to his city. So he went out with thousands of Israelites to bring it back in a celebratory parade praising the Lord God for all he had done for Israel. So turn in your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. So that should give you some context. David was like, hey, we got to bring the ark back to the city. It's been neglected too long. It was kind of put aside, in a sense, while Saul was king. So look at 2 Samuel 6, verse 1. Now David again gathered all the chosen men of Israel, 30,000. And David arose and went with all the people who were with him to Baale Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name the very name of the Lord of hosts, who is enthroned above the cherubim. They placed the ark of God on a new cart that they might bring it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Uzzah and Ahio, the sons of Abinadab, were leading the new cart. So they brought it with the ark of God from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. And Ahio was walking ahead of the ark. Meanwhile, David and all the house of Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all kinds of instruments made of fir wood, with lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. But when they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence. And he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah. 
And that place is called Perez Uza to this day. So first of all, before we reach Obed-Edom, the man uh, that's our focus to begin with, let's gain some perspective on this event, which might seem unfair to us at first. It's a pretty startling scene, and it seemed unfair to David. But as usual, our human perspective is off. So first of all, on the board, Warren W. Worsby, here's what he said on this verse in 2 Samuel 6, 1 through 11. David's first attempt failed miserably because the Levites didn't carry the ark on their shoulders. God had given specific directions through Moses how the tabernacle was to be erected, dismantled, and transported, as in Numbers chapter 4. And the major pieces of furniture were to be carried on the shoulders of the Levites who descended from Kohath, which is in Numbers 4, 9 through 20. So, first of all, on the board, here's what we see a picture of the Ark of the Covenant might have looked like, according to biblical descriptions. Uh, many of you are familiar with that in general. But you can see there are poles coming out on both ends which would allow the Levites to carry the ark on their shoulders without holding the ark itself with their hands. All right? So this was very clear in the Old Testament scriptures back in the days of Moses that this was commanded, and David and all of Israel knew the law, and they knew this was the case. Apparently, they overlooked it. So Warren Worsby continues on the board. The lesson here is obvious. God's work must be done in God's way if it is to have God's blessing. The fact that all the leaders of Israel agreed to use the cart didn't make it right. Again, once again, it was supposed to be carried on the shoulders, right? They had some new cart. I don't know if they thought it was new, that God was going to be happy as a new cart, not an old cart. I don't know, but the fact that all the leaders of Israel agreed to use the cart didn't make it right. When it looked like the ark would fall from the cart, Uzzah presumptuously took hold of it to steady it, and he was killed. But God had warned about this in the law of Moses, and every Israelite surely knew of it. Numbers 1, 51, and Numbers 4, 15, and 20. So turn in your Bibles to Numbers chapter 1. If you want, you can hold your place where you are. But Numbers 1, verse 51. back in the first five books. Again, Mr. Wiersbe goes on to say, the lesson here is obvious. God's work must be done in God's way if it is to have God's blessing. The fact that all the leaders of Israel agreed to use the cart didn't make it right. When it looked like the ark would fall from the cart, Uzzah presumptuously took hold of it to steady it, and he was killed. But God had warned about this in the law of Moses, and every Israelite surely knew of it. So here's how they knew of it. Look at Numbers 151. So when the tabernacle is to set out, the Levites shall take it down. And when the tabernacle encamps, the Levites shall set it up. But the layman who comes near shall be put to death. It's pretty clear, pretty direct. So there we see the Levites were the only Jewish tribe, the priestly tribe, who were allowed to work with the tabernacle and its items. 
So keep that in mind. And then look at Numbers 4, verse 15. Numbers 4, 15. When Aaron and his sons have finished covering the holy objects and all the furnishings of the sanctuary, when the camp is to set out, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to carry them so that they will not touch the holy objects and die. These are the things in the tent of meeting which the sons of Kohath are to carry. So we see of the Levites, only the descendants of Kohath had this privilege of touching the items and the ark. So with David and his quest to bring the ark to the city, it was an issue of disobeying God's law, even though he may have had good intentions. So there we see the balance, right? God wants you to have good intentions, right motivation, but he also wants you to obey his ways and not man's ways. So Mr. Wiersbe goes on on the board. The church today needs to heed this reminder and return to the word of God for an understanding of the will of God. No amount of unity or enthusiasm can compensate for disobedience. We might say that describes a lot of churches today. There's a lot of quote-unquote zealous churches, might be very emotional or religious, but they really kind of do things their own way, and a lot of them don't really teach the word much. But no amount of unity or enthusiasm can compensate for disobedience. When God's work is done in man's way, and we imitate the world instead of obeying the word, we can never expect the blessing of God. And he finishes up this way. The crowds may approve what we do, but what about the approval of God? It's so easy to want the approval of the crowd and the people because you see them and you have to deal with them, you know, in an interactive, visual way. And so people forget about the approval of God. But that takes faith, right? So again, the way of the world is ultimately the way of death. So that's one of the lessons we can take from this scene with David. Here's another lesson on perspective. It's not okay to do God's plan the way we want. Compromising God's ways and even rationalizing our activities while ignoring God's commands. We're good at that, right? Rationalizing, we're super good at that. And we'll call it God's will. We'll even grab a couple verses to say it's okay. But many times we're not being honest with ourselves or honest with the word. So this is why we need to learn the word of God every day. Like apparently David and the Israelites were like, we kind of forgot that command in numbers, right? You know, for whatever reason, they overlooked it. We need the word of God every day both under our pastor teacher and in our own reading of the scriptures, like the Bereans. And in that way, we'll, be, we'll, we'll have God's will at our uh, fingertips, on the tip of our tongue, right? Instead of wondering maybe what it is or trying to figure out and make our own way. All right, go back to 2 Samuel 6, verse 6.
But when they came to the threshing floor of Nikon, Uzzah reached out toward the ark of God and took hold of it, for the oxen nearly upset it. And the anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, and God struck him down there for his irreverence, and he died there by the ark of God. David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. So David was afraid of the Lord that day, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? Now this is David, right? This is David and Goliath to killing tens of thousands of Philistines, to becoming the anointed king, God's chosen man finally enthroned. So it can happen to anybody, I guess, is the point. And David's afraid of the Lord that day now, in verse 9, and he said, How can the ark of the Lord come to me? And David was unwilling to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David with him. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Thus, <laughs> why was that funny? <laughs> the Gittite? It's like Gazuntite. But David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So this man, Obed-Edom, was apparently a willing servant of the Lord and of the king, God's chosen king. He was humble enough. I mean, you've got to try to picture yourself being there and put yourself in his shoes. He was humble enough to take the ark to his house even after the frightening death of Uzzah. I mean, everybody, including David, was pretty petrified. And this man took it by faith. So first of all, on the board, it's a privilege to serve. Obed-Edom, in humility, was simply available to be used by God for his service. Whatever was asked of him, apparently. This was not like a chosen area of service once, you know, somebody just dies immediately before it, right? For doing something wrong. They maybe didn't even know exactly what he did wrong at this point. So Obed-Edom was like obviously a very humble man, and he was willing to do whatever was asked of him, whatever um, would help the Lord or the Lord's man, David. So sometimes we will be asked to do things we aren't expecting. There may be a need that comes up that isn't, quote-unquote, desirable to fill, or it's at a volatile time, like for Obed-Edom. You know, there's not much more of a volatile time than someone just dying, and you're going to take the very thing that killed him. But Obed-Edom was humble, and he had the right perspective about serving which is that any of it and all of it is a privilege, even though it might not be what you planned. It's a privilege as unto the Lord, as long as we have the right heart. So another thing about this man is we read nothing flashy or prominent about him in the scriptures. Just apparently that David trusted him a lot to take care of the ark of the Lord for the time being. We also are not going to read any words in Scripture that Obed-Edom says. In all the passages that mention this man, 
it never has him speaking or saying a word. So we don't know what he, he said. We just know what he did, which is kind of neat because we can learn a lot from the fruit of somebody. We don't necessarily need to hear the words, right? And the Lord blessed this humble man. As we just read, he blessed his entire household. So on the board, regarding Obed-Edom, it's a privilege to serve the Lord, and it appears this man had that perspective. And not that David didn't have that perspective. Of course he did. David was an extremely humble servant of the Lord, for sure. David, as we know, was even called a man after God's own heart in the Scriptures. But this was Obed-Edom's opportunity. Okay, think about this for a minute. Some of you who don't know what your gift is or your gifts are, or some of you that think you have to have a quote-unquote uh, high position or something like that, this was Obed-Edom's opportunity maybe to be there for King David in his moment of weakness. Okay? Just an average man, the type of man God likes to use, a humble man who's willing to do whatever is needed. Either way, this seemingly uncelebrated man was willing to fill in the gap and serve the Lord in this unique way at a difficult time. Now, three months later, David learned of the blessing of God upon Obed-Edom and his house, so he went to take the ark into Jerusalem. David's like, enough of that. You know, I see there's still blessing with the ark. I've got to get that over here to me. Go to uh, 2 Samuel 6, verse 12. So three months later, here's the scene. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. And so it was that when the bearers of the ark of the Lord had gone six paces, he sacrificed an ox and a fatling. And David was dancing before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. So, Obed-Edom, again, filled in the gap until David was ready to take the ark into the city the God-ordained way. Right? We see the whole picture, kind of. Uh, David maybe had a moment of weakness, maybe made a mistake, but um, somebody was there for him. Another believer was there for him to give him the break he needed, to give him the uh, time to gain the divine perspective. And this, this was a, a wonderful man. He obviously had the right perspective. So on the board, again, it's a privilege to serve. Obed-Edom's faith was an encouraging example to King David in his moment of weakness. What a privilege. What a privilege that alone is, that he was able to serve a man of God like David when he really needed it. Pretty cool. Uh, we're made to encourage one another, even by each other's faith. In Romans 1.12. So let's go to Romans 1, 
and be reminded of the value of this. Romans 1.11. And this is Paul, another very humble, wonderful servant of God. He says, For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. This is why coming together with other believers is something we look forward to. Whether we realize it or not, we're all craving especially at certain times in our lives, certain days, we're craving to see and be encouraged by the various types of faith in the room. Like on the opposite side of the spectrum, Jesus said, you know, there's all kinds of greed, right? Well, there's all kinds of faith too. There's all kinds. There's all, in fact, everybody's faith is a little bit different. And sometimes we even, you know, marvel at someone else's faith, like the Lord did a couple times in the Scriptures, right? And it's very encouraging. It even encouraged our Lord, if you think about it. When he said, I haven't seen this faith in all of Israel. And he said that about the uh, Roman centurion, I think, right? Faith encourages, and faith is different in every believer. So, whether we realize it or not, we're often um, craving or needing to see what faith looks like in another person because something's not clicking or connecting in our own you know, version of faith or the way we're thinking at the time. And that's why even the prayer vigils are so encouraging. I don't know about you, but um, I'm greatly encouraged to just hear certain people pray together you know, and to hear their viewpoint or, the, or what's important to them or how they pray. It's very encouraging. And that's why we've been told uh, over the last, I don't know, month or two, don't underestimate your role in the body of Christ. Don't underestimate your value and importance to the body of Christ. Every single one of us is here to fit a piece of the puzzle, to this body at least, to function in a certain way. And um, encouragement's a big part of it. So we all need encouragement at times, and seeing one another's faith is huge, especially at a time of weakness. Amen? If you're humble and honest about that, you've got to give me an amen. Some of us wrongly put our pastor teacher on a pedestal also. And because we do that, we think that he doesn't need encouragement. Or we think that he doesn't have weak moments in faith. Well, you know, a little notice on the board about the need for encouragement. Every man, every believer has times of doubting and weakness. Simply because every man is tempted and taunted by his sin nature, for starters. So, we mustn't put others on pedestals and think they don't need the encouragement. We mustn't think that we're too, quote-unquote, lowly or whatever we might think, that we can't give encouragement. It's all foolishness. It's all spiritual things that God supernaturally has given each of us to have a peace and a part in the good function of the body. 
and it shows up in the form of encouragement quite often. So in Romans 1.12, which we just read, even Paul, if you look at it, he basically saying he longed for encouragement from others' faith. He longed for it. And this was a man with great faith, to say the least. And this is why also even the apostles, who we no longer wrongly put on a pedestal, hopefully, even the apostles said, Lord, increase our faith. Everybody needs encouragement and reminders from time to time. So again, on the board, it's a privilege to serve in any way. Even, even staying for the, um, the prayer, the prayer vigil, right? That's a form of service. You're giving of yourself to participate in that and maybe encourage somebody. Even if you don't say anything, just by being there, you might be encouraging somebody. You have no idea. So these things are all, uh, even the little things, they're, they're parts of service and they can be very important. Obed-Edom's faith was an encouraging example to King David in his moment of weakness. What a privilege. We are made to encourage one another even by each other's faith. Romans 1.12 And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom greatly for walking in humble faith before the Lord, even in the shadow of Uzzah's death. So let's see another account of this in the book of Chronicles. And before you turn there, just think about this for a minute. As is often the case, as, as you see when you read the Gospels, for example, right? We have four different Gospels. As is often the case, if an event is repeated in another chapter or book in the Bible, it often reveals more details and color on what happened or why certain things happened, including the death of Mr. Uzzah. So let's turn to 1 Chronicles 13 and see a different account of this event. Poor Mr. Uzzah, huh? <laughs> well, apparently it was his time, right? And he had to be uh, made an example of for, probably for the benefit of others' faith. Go figure. And God is sovereign and he has every right to determine the timing and the way he takes everybody back. 1 Chronicles 13, 1. Then David consulted with the captains of the thousands and the hundreds, even with every leader. David said to all the assembly of Israel, If it seems good to you, and if it's from the Lord our God, let us send everywhere to our kinsmen who remain in all the land of Israel, also to the priests and Levites who are with them in their cities with pasture lands, that they may meet with us. And let us bring back the ark of our God to us, for we did not seek it in the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. Maybe that should have been a red flag to David. The thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David assembled all Israel together, from the Shehor of Egypt, even to the entrance of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. David and all Israel went up to Baalah, which is Kiriath-Jerim, which belongs to Judah, to bring up from there the ark of God, the Lord who is enthroned above the cherubim, where his name is called. 
They carried the ark of God on a new cart from the house of Abinadab, and Uzzah and Ahio drove the cart. David and all Israel were celebrating before the Lord with all their might, even with songs and with lyres and harps and tambourines, cymbals and with trumpets. When they came to the threshing floor of Shidon, Uzzah put out his hand to hold the ark because the oxen nearly upset it. The anger of the Lord burned against Uzzah, so he struck him down because he put out his hand to the ark, and he died there before God. Then David became angry because of the Lord's outburst against Uzzah, and he called that place Perez Uzzah to this day. David was afraid of God that day, saying, How can I bring the ark of God home to me? So David did not take the ark with him to the city of David, but took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. Thus the ark of God remained with the family of Obed-Edom in his house three months, and the Lord blessed the family of Obed-Edom with all that he had. Now, more light is revealed as to David's mistake, which he realized after some time had passed, in this case about three months. First of all, on the board, regarding fixing our skewed perspective. At first, David was angry with the Lord for killing Uzzah. But as usual, when we take time and pray about things that we don't understand, the Lord shows us our error. 1 Chronicles 15, 1 through 3, and verse 13. If we're honest, this point on the board is kind of like clockwork in our lives when something goes wrong. Uh, we often kick against the prickers, but once we humble ourselves and seek his answers, he shows us our error. He shows us our wrong human perspective. And uh, that's usually the problem. But we need time because we're arrogant. Uh, we think we're right all the time. We're like, God, why, how could you do this to me? I was doing the right thing. Oh, where are you, son? Why don't you go think about that in your room for about three months and get back to me? And that's really what David did. To his credit, he was humble. Again, the point on the board, fixing our skewed perspective. At first, David was angry with the Lord for killing Uzzah. But as usual, when we take time and pray about things that we don't understand, the Lord shows us our error. So look at 1 Chronicles 15, verse 1. Are you in 15-1 now? Let's see. You were in 13, right? 1 Chronicles 15-1. Now David built houses for himself in the city of David, and he prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched a tent for it. Then David said, No one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. And David assembled all Israel at Jerusalem to bring up the ark of the Lord to its place, which he had prepared for it. So you see there in verse 2, David's come to a realization. Three months later, no one is to carry the ark of God but the Levites, for the Lord chose them to carry the ark of God and to minister to him forever. Now look at verse 11, 1 Chronicles 15, 11. Then David called for Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, and for the Levites, for Uriel, Asiah, Joel, Shemaiah, Eliel, Abinadab, 
and said to them, You are the heads of the fathers' households of the Levites. Consecrate yourselves, both you and your relatives, that you may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it at first, the Lord our God made an outburst on us, for we did not seek him according to the ordinance. So there we see David's repentance. So in verse 14, the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel. The sons of the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders, no more cart, with the poles thereon, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. So David humbly realizes and admits his mistake, and he goes to recover the ark from Obed-Edom and take it to Jerusalem. Now, let's notice that the blessings don't stop for this humble servant, Obed-Edom, uh, the one that realized it was a pure privilege to serve the Lord in any capacity, and he was there to fill in the gap. Not only were he and his family blessed in every way during that three months that he filled in the gap for David, but on the board, Obed-Edom's blessings continue. In 1 Chronicles 15, 18 through 24, he is appointed as a gatekeeper of the ark, as well as being privileged to play instruments of celebration to the Lord. Look at 1 Chronicles 15, verse 16. And please bear with me as I try to get through all the names here. <laughs> kind of ch challenging. Verse 16. Then David spoke to the chiefs of the Levites to appoint their relatives, the singers, with instruments of music, harps, lyres, loud-sounding cymbals, to raise sounds of joy. So the Levites appointed Haman, the son of Joel, and from his relatives, Asaph, the son of Barakiah, and from the sons of Merari, their relatives, Ethan, the son of Cushiah, and with them their relatives of the second rank, Zechariah, Ben, Jaziel, Shemar, Ramoth, Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Benaiah, uh, Ma Maaseiah, God, why am I even trying? Mathathiah, Elephelu, Micneah, Obed-Edom, yeah. yay, Jael, the gatekeepers. And going on in verse 19, so the singers... Haman, Asaph, and Ethan were appointed to sound aloud cymbals of bronze. And Zechariah, Eziel, Shemeraroth, <laughs> Jehiel, Uni, Eliab, Maaseiah, Benaiah, with harps tuned to Alamoth, and Mattathiah, Eliphelu, Mekneah, Obed-Edom, Jael, Ezra, I got it here, I can't say it now. Azaziah, to lead with lyres, tuned to the Sheminith. Uh, all right, this is why it's also a privilege to be part of the church choir. It's another unique way to praise and honor God. And it's one of those things that we tend to take for granted, right? It's part of tradition in the church or whatever. Um, some people might not even think it's that important or it's not a big deal. But to God, this was a big deal. This happened 
a lot in the Old Testament where they had these kind of um, all-out celebrations, really, of singing to God like this. And Obed-Edom was also a part of that. So in verse 18, Obed-Edom was one of the gatekeepers, and he was also one of the leaders uh, in the music, in this celebration um, back to Jerusalem. And in verse 22, Shenaniah, chief of the Levites, was in charge of the singing. He gave instruction in singing because he was skillful. This may be one reason our Brian House is in charge of the singing. He's a gifted guy with uh, skills in that area of music. Maybe he's our Chenaniah. I don't know. But God has jobs, gifts, duties for everybody to be privileged to serve in. And then in verse 23, Berechiah, Elkanah were gatekeepers for the ark. Shebaniah, Josaphat, uh, Nethanel, Amasiah, Zechariah, Beniah, Eleazar, the priests, blew the trumpets before the ark of God. Obed-Edom and Jehiah also were gatekeepers for the ark. So you see the privileged positions this man received going forward. I mean, really, you know, he could have in his own soul said, I'm done. I've done a, a wonderful thing for David. I'm, I'm elated. You know, almost like I could die now, right? I served the Lord in a great way. Um, I filled in the gap when no one else wanted to, maybe. And I served, you know, the anointed king of Israel. But he was willing, and uh, he had that attitude of wanting more because he viewed it as a privilege. So because of this servant's attitude that he had, David was encouraged to move forward with God's plan for the ark. And again, really, the attitude is, who are we to be able to serve the Lord God Almighty? Look at 1 Chronicles 15.25, if we begin to close. 1 Chronicles 15.25. So it was David with the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands who went to bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord from the house of Obed-Edom with joy. Because God was helping the Levites who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, they sacrificed seven bulls and seven rams. And Obed-Edom and his family continued to be blessed even after this occurrence, once the Ark was set up uh, with David at his palace. In 1 uh, Chronicles 16, 37. Look at 1 Chronicles 16, 37. So he, David, left Asaph and his relatives there before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to minister before the Ark continually, as every day's work required. And Obed-Edom, with his 68 relatives, Obed-Edom, also the son of Jeduthun and Hosa, as gatekeepers. All of his family continued to be blessed and even promoted to wonderful, honorable positions serving the Lord. And this reminds me, I guess we'll close with this, this reminds me of a passage in Hebrews. Um, God doesn't forget anything that we do for Him with the right heart. He doesn't forget anything, not even the smallest things. We know the importance from our recent lessons of, of how God honors and cares about the little things and the way we do things. 
like a friend of yours might forget an act of kindness that you show them. Right? Have you ever done that for somebody? And then they don't even thank you? They're like, hey, that's not very nice. What the heck, right? I, I, I sacrifice for you. And you just don't even acknowledge it. And that's the flesh. But God never lacks in that way. Okay? God's obviously perfect. He doesn't forget anything. I mean, think about that. Think about that. Because sometimes when we're doing things for the Lord and we are getting tired or discouraged, right? There's a tendency to think, what am I doing this for? You know, in, in essence, we're saying, is God really going to remember this little thing or this little part? You know, do I have to follow through on this? Um, you know, our, our flesh gets the better of us. And it's worldly perspective. But divine perspective, God's like, I'm watching every single detail. I'm recording it all. When you get to heaven, I'm, I'm going to, you know, unveil it all to you and remind you of things you even forgot you did for me. So God doesn't have that problem. He's never going to forget the work done for him with the right heart. So let's close with this passage in Hebrews 6, verse 9. Hebrews 6, 9. What a, thank God we have a faithful God who doesn't like forget when we follow him, you know? Because at times it's discouraging. At times you get beat down. At times unbelievers spit venom at you even though they don't realize they're lost. And uh, God's like, don't worry, I, I see it all. You're doing a great job. Hebrews 6, 9 through 12. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end so that you will not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Again, verse 10. God, God is not unjust to forget our work. He's never unfair. He's never like, oh, I forgot to reward you for that one. He doesn't have that problem. We don't have to worry about that. Not that we do it for that reason, but God is watching, and he cares about every, every detail of it as long as we're doing things from the right perspective and with the right heart. Again, verse 10, For God is not unjust so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown toward his name. What's the greatest motivation? Love. What's serving a pure privilege? You know, where does that come from? Love. And then in having ministered and in still ministering to who? The saints. We serve God by serving people. And we do it in love, which is the greatest motivation. And the more and more we can see God's perspective and treat it as a privilege that we should be treating it as all the time, the more glory we're bringing to God. It's really what it's all about, and that's how God wants to set us free with this perspective so that we can enjoy every minute of it. He wants us to have joy while we're serving Him in every area. 
to realize what we're doing, to realize the magnitude of what we're doing eternally. That's his hope for us as our father, right? But we have to change our perspective. And hopefully this man, Obed-Edom, can help us do that. So we'll continue with this study on Sunday morning. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again so much for the privilege and opportunity of being your children and of having the chance to honor you and follow you and serve you and serve your people. Help us to always look at this as an undeserved chance, an undeserved opportunity to do things for you that have eternal repercussions. And Father, we also thank you for the faith of each individual in the body of Christ. We thank you that we can be encouraged by one another. You know we need it. And you've designed our lives in this way that we function off one another as members of the body. And we thank you so much that we can encourage others, have that privilege, and that we can be encouraged by others and give others that privilege of serving us in that way, all by your grace. Father, we ask that you help us take these thoughts home, help us dwell on these things, and help us take this perspective out to a lost and dying world that needs it so desperately. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen.